0: Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, (laughs) well, actually. Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb and then smart again. I'm Helen Hong, and now, from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton.
1: Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Helen, how are you?
0: Good. I recently uh, learned something about emergency appendectomies. Why? Because my roommate had to have oh, one. Oh, okay.
1: Well, that doesn't sound fun.
0: And I had to go pick him up at four o'clock in the morning. They wouldn't le- They wouldn't let him leave... The hospital until he had peed, which i didn 't know was a thing, like after the surgery, you have to pee
1: <laughs> I was going to talk about how I took a trip to russia
0: oh yeah that 's better than appendectomy <laughs> slightly
1: yeah i had a nice I had a nice time
0: where did, did you go to Moscow
1: I went to Moscow, I went to St. Petersburg. Uh, those were the two. It sounded like I was doing a list, but no, those were the only two places that I went. Did you eat a lot of caviar? Uh, I had no caviar. I do not eat fish, so I saved a lot of money on this trip.
0: Did you drink any vodka?
1: I drank a nice, healthy amount of vodka.
0: Is Russian vodka better than, like, regular old vodka?
1: Uh, it is less expensive, which also means better. Uh, but also, uh, it is served in, It is served not only in bars or in fancy restaurants, but I went to a, a fast food place and got vodka with, uh, with like a, a plate of ribs and some fries. No. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like you can go to McDonald's and get vodka. I don't
1: know exactly if it's McDonald's because I try not to go to McDonald's when I'm uh, traveling uh, abroad. So I don't know about McDonald's per se, but there are places that you would not expect. I bet I could get a nice cold glass of high quality vodka at this place. And you can. Wow. Yeah.
0: I need to go to Russia.
1: I recommend it. Uh, there's also culture and art. No, vodka. All
0: right. Uh, now, isn't it sad? Like, I literally only wanted to know about the caviar and the vodka. Yeah. Like, I was like, whatever, Russia shmasha. Wh-
1: whatever gets you there. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. I recommend it. And dos vidania. What what does that mean? I don't remember. Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who is up first?
0: He is an actor who's best known for his roles on Breaking Bad, Justified, Deadwood, and Supernatural.
1: It's Jim Beaver. Jim Beaver. Jim Beaver! Hello, Jim Beaver. Please sit right here. Have a seat it's right you. here. It's yes. you! Uh, yep. Helen is reacting to the fact that it is you because you've seen him on so many shows you've on television. You've been on so
0: many shows that like you're one of those people that I'm like, I know I know you, but how?
2: I decided that if I ever write an autobiography, it's going to be called... How do they know who I am?
1: (laughs) I thought you did write an autobiography. Sequel, man. Oh, the sequel. Okay. The first one was called I Know Who I Am, and then the second one was How Do They Know Who I Am. Uh, Jim, it's wonderful to be with you. I've known you for several years, and uh, uh, we've been trying to get you for a long time. It is hard to book Jim Beaver for an unpaid gig uh, because you seem to work a lot and prefer uh, being paid.
2: It's... It's getting easier.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm sorry you did not have a gig at this one day for that reason, but I'm very happy that it worked out to have you today. Uh, Wait, you've been on some amazing shows,
0: Breaking Bad, Justified, Deadwood.
1: Yeah, do you ever play a guy who doesn't know how to use a gun or act tough?
2: I did a sitcom about 25 years ago where I played basically the village idiot, and it was about as far away from gunplay uh, as anything you can imagine, and I think... That may be the only time there wasn't firepower involved. Wow! Somewhere.
0: So you've definitely been shot with a squib.
2: Oh, I've been shot with a squib. Yeah.
0: <sighs> Man. And
2: I have shot people with squib.
0: Wait. So just so people know, like, who did you play in Breaking Bad?
2: <laughs> I played Lawson, the gun dealer.
1: Yeah. It was so Amazing. great. Every time you showed up, and then and then you got to reprise the role, but in a in a past in prequel form on on uh, Better Call Saul.
2: I got to be on Better Call Saul selling guns. Yeah, it's a living.
1: Uh, is it true that you, of all the things that you've done, would you say Deadwood had the best writing of anything you've done?
2: Yeah, it's it's Deadwood was the greatest project I've ever been associated with. It was the most brilliantly written, the most enjoyable to act, the most. Uh, Important to my career. Sure. Um, The most
0: f bombs in a minute.
2: Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's some sort of record. And is it
1: really on the page when you read that for the first time? You're like, oh man, this is this is going to be amazing.
2: Yeah, I mean, the difficulty with Deadwood was that it could be on the page the night before, as you're rehearsing in your uh, at your home and getting ready for the next day, and then. You'd show up on the set and uh, rehearse for an hour or so, and then David Milch, the creator, would come to the set and watch you, and then he would throw it all out and <sighs> write you a new monologue uh, uh. that you had to do eight minutes later. And
1: did you like that working like that?
2: It scared the hell out of me but it made me a braver actor and I came to really like it.
1: That's terrific. Now, another thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, you wanted one of your topics to be the actor John Garfield uh, today, but uh, you actually had written a book about John Garfield, so that was not, that was not quite allowed. But what I'm interested in is that you wrote this book at a time when it was not so easy to see an actor's work. How did you go about seeing John Garfield's work?
2: Well, I wrote this book on John Garfield while I was in college as an alternative to studying. <laughs> okay. And... Um,
1: did this, they not have drugs back then? What was the, what was the issue?
2: Well, you know, I, I, after Vietnam, I was kind of, you know, it was, that was old hat. Okay. Sorry. And um, I, um, uh, this, was, this was the late 70s and, that I decided to write this book. And there was, they, not only was there no internet, there was no video stores. There were no... Uh, um, VCRs they, even, really. There were three channels. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and they went off at midnight. And uh, I would do things like... Wait, what? Yeah. 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 You had to walk from the sofa to the set to change channels. Oh,
0: my God. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Anyway, I would do things like uh, scour TV guides to see when a John Garfield movie was playing somewhere. And we had these regional TV guides that would cover like half the state. And so sometimes I would get in my car and drive... 80 or 100 miles to some gas station and plug in my TV set so that I could watch a John Garfield Stop. movie at three, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You
1: were obsessed.
2: I was trying to write a book, man. You know.
1: And it worked. You were able to see several of his movies like that. I
2: saw a lot of his movies like that. I could watch them all tonight on the Internet. Yeah. But I did a lot of driving for that
1: book. Well, thank goodness it's a lot easier to see your work now and what a collection of work it is, Mr. Jim Beaver. <laughs> Helen, against whom will Jim be competing tonight? She is an
0: actor and comedian who you've seen on At Midnight and Modern Family and whose new comedy album, Sad Lemon, is out in July. It's Erica Rhodes. Erica Rhodes.
3: Erica Rhodes.
1: Hi, Erica. Please have a seat right there next to Jim. Erica brought her purse.
3: Yes, you never know.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Erica, did you know that the TV sets would just go off at midnight? What do you mean? I know.
1: Yeah. They or went sh- off? Yeah. Well, no, the TV itself didn't go off. You could leave your TV on, but there would be no programming.
3: Wait, just... back in the day?
1: Back in the day.
3: There was like a bedtime, to- like an official bedtime. <laughs> That's right. The TV went
1: to sleep. That's
3: so weird. I never knew that. Yeah. I
1: know. Have you guys heard of a smoking section? <laughs>
3: I'm old enough to okay, remember. Very good.
1: Yes, Erica, it's so wonderful to meet you. I Thanks, follow you on you Twitter. Too. I love your jokes. I love seeing the clips that you uh, that, that you put up there as well. And some people might recognize your voice because you were on a Prairie Home Companion for a while as well. Yes. Now you started that gig at, a, at what age? If you don't mind ten. my asking, when at I 10, I ten years old. Yeah, my
3: voice hasn't changed since.
1: <laughs> Tell us about uh, what you did on Prairie Home Companion and how you got involved in that.
3: I was <laughs> a radio show called A Prairie Home Companion with Garrison Keillor, and uh, I played his conscience. the first time I was on it, and I just told him, like, you need to call your mother, you need to read Moby Dick, you need to file your income tax report, that kind of thing. All right, but
1: that led to a longer uh, Yeah, then
3: I played other characters, and I did it my whole life. I acted with Meryl Streep on it, and Martin Sheen, and yeah, I had a lot of cool opportunities. How did you get that gig at 10? Um, Sort of through my mother. She asked Garrison to do a fundraiser for her orchestra because they're from the same hometown, and she had, she's a, a professional violinist in the Boston Pops, and uh, she had an, another orchestra and she called him up or she emailed him and was like I I need help raising money for my orchestra, and she referenced something in one of his books that was about eating a live chicken in order to. In order to have a band, like, like he said it in his book about eating live chicken. So she said, please don't make me have to eat a live chicken.
1: <laughs> and that's what ra- did it? And that's
3: what did it, because she referenced <laughs> his book, you know. She showed she, she read up on him, and, and they were from the same hometown. Wait, is your
0: mother from Lake Wobegon?
3: Lake Wobegon's a made-up place oh. but <laughs> sorry oh, no. to break it to you all i'm leaving <laughs> helen come back it's fiction it's all fiction i thought lake Wobegon was the town he was from no he's from anoka minnesota <laughs> 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 you
1: guys. got to tour with the show though after that didn't you
3: yeah i did and i wrote for the show a bunch and what yeah. are some of the cool
1: places that you got to go and some of the uh, great performances you i did do?
3: well i did a uh Cruise with them at one point. We did a Baltic cruise, so we went to Russia, Sweden. Mm-hmm. Wait, you were trapped on a, cru- a, a cruise. Ship? A Prairie Home cruise ship, by the way. No. If you're ever on one of those, the gambling places are empty. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> gambles. I've never seen less action on a cruise ship with the, the gambling the, the and the Prairie drinking. Yeah, yeah, they're so wholesome. You know, yeah. they're like they're and old, old and wholesome. All
1: right. Uh, Tell us about this comedy record that you have, Sad Lemon.
3: Yes, it's my first album, and I'm calling it Sad Lemon. Why? (laughs) It's sort of a long story, but uh, in one of the shows, not the show I used, but um, in one of the shows that I knew wasn't going to make the cut, uh, I was doing a lot of crowd work, and then somebody was really drunk, and they sort of spilled their drink on the the stage. And I was like, oh, no, there's just a sad lemon on the stage now. (laughs) And then later in the show, I was like, okay, this isn't going to be the the show of my album, but does anyone have ideas for my album name? And someone in the crowd was like, Sad Lemon. (laughs) And I was like, I really like that, actually. You know? Because a lemon is just... a lemon is kind of sad and everyone's always trying to make lemons happy like make lemonade out of lemons and I'm like just let the lemon be sad (laughs) you know just let it be a lemon the lemon
4: has its own emotional journey yeah just let
3: the lemon be
1: (laughs) (laughs) well we'll certainly look forward to that we're happy to have you Erica Rhodes ladies and gentlemen
3: thanks (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right, Jim and Erica, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work, and we chose you some expertise. Jim, you chose Benedict Arnold, movies based on Raymond Chandler novels, and the Adventures of Superman TV series, whereas Erica, you chose the <laughs> film The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, and the poet William Wordsworth. I'm filled with regret. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Too too lowbrow?
3: <laughs> I know nothing about any of them.
1: Did you really just choose those at random?
3: No, I mean, I was interested in all of them, and okay. I, I enjoyed them at different times in my life, but yeah. I... I can't tell you any facts.
1: Well, we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, you certainly, though, have made it appear that we're doing a very cerebral highbrow show, and we're certainly grateful for that.
3: <laughs> Just you wait. Just you
1: wait. <laughs> <laughs> now, later on, we're going to ask you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It is time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, going Dutch. First up and Going Dutch is Jim. Jim, your question comes from a listener, James Callen of Washugal, Washington. Jim, they both provide the world with wooden shoes, tulips, and people named Van Stratton. But what is the difference between Holland and the Netherlands? Holland and the Netherlands.
4: The
2: Netherlands is, <laughs> is the translation of the Dutch name for the country. And Holland is, it's kind of like, in Germany they call Munich München, but everybody else calls it Munich. It's kind of like the foreigner's name for the country.
1: Okay, so in other words, they're actually this, it refers to the same thing, it's just one is the local name and one is the, the foreign name for calling it. That'll do. <laughs> it <laughs> That'll certainly will, Pig. Uh, Alright, we've got Jim's answer, we don't know yet if he is correct. Erica, what do you think?
3: <laughs> I, does Netherlands include more than Holland?
1: I would like you to tell me instead of asking me. Uh, <laughs> You want to make that your guess?
3: I'm going to guess that it includes more than
1: just Holland. Okay. Whereas Holland is just Holland. <laughs> I literally cannot argue with that. Uh, all right. Well, this segment is becoming Amsterdam. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts.
0: Here are the facts. The Netherlands is the name of the European country bordered by Belgium and Germany. It's had other names in the past, including the Republic of the Seven United Netherlands and the Batavian Republic, but never Holland. Holland is the name of two provinces in the Netherlands, Nord Holland and Zuid Holland. That's North and South Holland, mm-hmm. guys. But there are ten other provinces. So calling the country Holland is like calling the United States Carolina because we have a North and South Carolina. The two Holland provinces do contain the largest population of the Netherlands and the cities of Amsterdam, Harlem, and The Hague. So chances are, if you meet someone from the Netherlands, they are also from Holland, but not necessarily.
1: That's right, and uh, if you go to the official tourist board of the Netherlands to help you understand this, you'll get even more confused because their website is (laughs) holland.com. But we did look it up. I am of Dutch ancestry. This is correct. Helen, what about our points in that round?
0: I'm going to give Erica one point. For saying that uh, the Netherlands includes more than just Holland.
1: All right, one wow. point for Erica. Very good. I'm shocked. To see that what that, happens when that, you phrase something yeah. as a statement instead of a question? Yeah.
3: <laughs> that might be my only point in this whole game, so I'm gonna revel in it.
1: All right, well, please do revel, but don't, uh, don't forget you have to answer this now because up Uh-oh. next in Going Dutch is Erica. Erica, they both have helped keep the Dutch people dry, but what is the difference between a levee and a dike? A levee and a dike.
3: Um, a levee and a dike.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Oh man, I don't even know. All right. Well, um, well let me guess. Yes, that's um, a good strategy. <laughs> a levee has two openings or something. Okay. Two ways it can go. All right. And dike has one way it can go.
1: Has one way it can go. The water. The wa- Oh, the water is what you're referring to by it. Okay. Something so, the, like so a, a levee has two ways for the water to go, <laughs> and a dike only has one way for it
3: yeah, to go. Yeah, I'm just totally guessing. <laughs> no, but you okay. said it, and we yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, I just said that. it. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: We have Erica's answer. We don't know yet if she is correct. Uh, Jim, what do you think?
2: I think a levee holds back. Um, Things like rivers and canals, whereas Mm -hmm. a dike holds back the ocean.
1: All right, well, it is time to wash away this segment. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts.
0: Here are the facts. A levee is an embankment that is built to protect land that is already dry but is threatened by flooding. Because most of New Orleans is at or below sea level, it has a series of levees to prevent flood events from high water in the Mississippi River or from storm surges during hurricanes. The worst damage to New Orleans from Hurricane Katrina came when more than 50 levees failed. A dike is an embankment that is built in order to dry out and reclaim land that is already underwater, often below sea level. Mm -hmm. The dike is built to wall off the area you want to dry out, and then the water is pumped out of that area, making the land usable.
1: That's right. Now, traditionally, that pumping was done with the use of windmills, and since the Netherlands has grown larger over the centuries as they have built dikes, the country became associated with those windmills, and with me. (laughs) Helen, how about our score at the end of that?
0: Yeah, I don't think either one of you guys got that right.
1: (laughs) I don't think so either. What is our score at the end of that round, though? (laughs) At
0: the end of that round, Jim Beaver has zero points and Erica Rhodes has one point. That's
1: right, but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. It's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. you wept as we crafted the tragic tale of Jar Jar, a Star Wars story. Yeah. Doing like he forgives Darth Vader? Please <laughs> still love you, yeah. Annie. <laughs> you gasped out loud at the shocking
2: twists of Face Off 2. Face is wild. He takes his kid's face.
1: What? <laughs> now we're writing an entire screenplay week by week on Story Bricks Season 2, Heaven Heist. Hey folks, Freddie Wong here with some exciting news about Story Break, the Writer's Room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have one hour to spin cinematic gold. We're shaking up our format by turning Heaven Heist, one of our favorite ideas we've ever come up with on the show, into a full screenplay. Heaven Heist is an action comedy about a crew of misfit gangsters robbing the celestial bank of heaven. Think a Coco meets Point Break. Join us as we write this crazy movie scene by scene and get an inside look at the screenwriting process on our podcast Story Break every Thursday on MaximumFun.org.
0: Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Jim Beaver with zero points and Erica Rhodes
1: with one point. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. Jim, here's a chance for you to put some points on the board. Of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Benedict Arnold, movies based on Raymond Chandler novels, and the Adventures of Superman TV series. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First of all, you said you know a lot about Benedict Arnold. Yeah, I, um,
2: I, I, I stumbled across a book about him... 30 years ago and read it and was kind of shocked at everything I had misunderstood about him and realized that he was not only uh, the most famous traitor in American history but he was also one of the greatest heroes in American history and there was a lot about him that was misunderstood and I seem to be a sucker for misunderstood people
1: (laughs) (laughs) you can relate to that Uh, right. you also said you know a lot about movies based on Raymond Chandler novels
2: um, I, I just dig movies and somewhere in my 30s I started reading Raymond Chandler novels and discovered there were a whole bunch of movies made from them and uh, um, I mean what's not to love? They're, like
0: like what for example? Yeah, what are
1: some of your favorites?
2: Uh, the Big Sleep, Farewell My Lovely, uh, The High Window. Um,
1: and did you go to gas stations to watch these as well?
2: No, no, just crawled under the house, like most kids.
1: And what do you, <laughs> and what do you think about uh, what do you think it is about Raymond Chandler movies that appeals to you so much?
2: Well, there, it's there's uh, the hardboiled detective genre uh, when it's written as well as Chandler wrote it is vastly appealing to me, and uh, um, it's a uh, you know it's a it's a a fictional world. It does it's a it's a, a, a fantasy in a way. You've got this private eye who solves crimes and gets into people's private lives, and it doesn't bear much resemblance at all to real detectives who Mm. are mostly, you know, just sneaking around trying to catch somebody for a divorce or something.
1: And I hear he was rather misunderstood as well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which appeals to you as well. Yeah, it fits. (laughs) Also, and then finally you said you know a lot about the Adventures of Superman TV series. Well, I'm a baby boomer. I mean, I
2: don't look like one, but yeah. (laughs) So I grew up on the Adventures of Superman. Uh, as a kid. And for those who
1: don't know and are in our listening audience, tell us about when that show was on and well who that, was on it and all that. Well,
2: that show was on f- uh, initially from 1952 to 1958 thereabouts, and but it's been in syndication ever since. It's the second highest syndicated success story in television history behind I Love Lucy, and it's still on, uh, what, 60, 65 years mm-hmm. later. And um, I watched it as a kid. I, I I've kind of lost my all my, all my caring for the whole superhero genre, but that one kind of uh, has a nostalgic mm-hmm. impact for me. And I don't know if this uh, counts as cheating, but um, for the last few years, I've been writing a book on the actor who starred in the show, George Reeves.
1: And uh, how long? How long is a few years?
2: Uh, Forty-one.
1: Forty-one years you've been writing that book. Yeah. You think you're going to uh, you going to wrap it up sometime?
2: I'm working on it right now. All well, right. not at not at the precise moment. Yeah, but no, yes. I appreciate
1: your focus is on <laughs> yeah. on the show. Uh, all right. So to summarize, Jim Beaver, you said you know a lot about Benedict Arnold, movies based on Raymond Chandler novels, and the Adventures of Superman TV series. Today we want to quiz you about Benedict Arnold. Oh, great. Uh, have you been to any of the famous sites uh, from Benedict I history? I
2: have. Um, uh, after his uh, failed attempt to sell West Point to the British during the Revolution, um, <laughs> relocated <laughs> and um, to England, and he uh, lived the rest of his life and died in London. And he's buried at Battersea Church uh, on the south bank of the Thames. And I went there, and um, they have a stained glass window in the church to Sort of honor or at least commemorate Benedict Arnold, and I asked if I could see the crypt because I knew he was buried in the basement. So th- they led me downstairs to the basement.
1: Now, is this for anyone, or is this because this your is TV's for anybody, Jim Beaver? No, it oh, was just, okay. no, they didn't.
2: They didn't know who You're like, I am. I
1: would like to see a famous dead person right yeah. this way. Yeah, yeah,
2: pretty much. And I went into the basement, which is now a daycare center. No. And they, I told them what I wanted, and they said, "Oh, yeah." he's right over here behind the Legos.
0: No! No!
2: (laughs) And they moved a big box of Legos out of the way, and there's the crypt. What? And his he and his wife and family are now resting peacefully next to a box of Legos.
0: Wait, they're letting the kids play next to the dead bodies?
2: Well, it's not just lying out on the floor. Yeah, Helen.
0: (laughs) Helen,
1: that would be weird.
0: I feel like They they shot a movie about this called
1: Poltergeist. Isn't that what, isn't this what... You made the daycare (laughs) on top of a burial ground? Wow. I'm I'm so glad I asked that follow-up question and also rather disturbed. Uh, All right, and and what was it like to see the the crypt?
2: You know, it was fun for a minute and then my attention was caught by the Legos. And... (laughs) You know, well, there's probably,
1: a little do they have the one with the garage? And the yeah, garage? yeah, yeah. It's pretty so,
2: cool. Well, you've, uh, they got a crypt made out of Lego. Oh really? A know. Lego
1: crypt? <laughs> yeah. That's how I want to go. All right, uh, Jim Beaver, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in Benedict Arnold to test your mastery in the subject with our expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints for any of these five questions. Erica, do listen closely, because if Jim answers incorrectly, you can steal. By the way, Erica, how much do you know about Benedict Arnold?
3: Zero, Nothing.
1: All right, yeah. let's see if that pays off somehow. <laughs> All right, here's question number one Jim Beaver. Before he betrayed his country, Benedict Arnold was an American hero in what war?
2: The American Revolution.
1: Ellen? That is correct. That is correct, yes. You kind of tipped your hand on that earlier. Question number two. Benedict Arnold is now known as a traitor because he was accused of selling what important site to the British? West Point. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It also came up in conversation. The site, of course, is now home to a famous military academy. Jim Beaver, you're two for two. Here's question number three. Arnold was married twice, but both women had the same first name. What was that name? Peggy. Helen? That is not correct. Not exactly correct. I'm sorry. Well, Erica, if with a chance to steal.
2: Peggy's a nickname for Margaret.
1: Yes, but not both of them went by that nickname.
2: Well you communist.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You go to Russia for one week and suddenly everybody calls you a communist. Say, Erica, you have a chance to steal any guesses? Margaret? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. (laughs) It did pay off. Good job.
3: yeah, so it's good. You know,
1: sometimes when, you, when, you just, when your mind is blank, the answer just somehow The answer is usually in the question. your consciousness. Uh, all right, let's see if we can bounce back with this one. At the Battle of Saratoga, Benedict Arnold was shot. In what part of his body was he shot, and what piece of clothing is now immortalized in a statue at the site?
2: He was shot in his leg, and there is a statue to his boot which does not bear his name.
1: Helen. Ellen? That is correct. That is exactly correct. Very good. There was a law that was passed that his name could never be engraved in the United States, so neither his name nor his likeness appears on that monument. It is just a boot engraved in stone.
0: Wait, like inexplicably, there's just a uh, like a I mean, stone they boot. They
1: hint at it. They say honoring a great hero at this site, but they never say whose who he
2: name we're not going to mention. Exactly.
1: <gasps> have but you a, been there? Yeah.
2: I have not been there.
1: Ah. Oh. No. Well, the next ne- next trip, I hear they have great TV reception there. Uh, all right. Finally, question number five. Before his career in the military, Arnold served for several years as an apprentice in a field in which he later started a business. What was that field? It's an apothecary, I believe. Ellen, that is correct. That is Correct. Wow. Very, very good. <laughs> wow. Uh, he, that's right. He he actually had a couple other businesses, but apothecary was the one that he had apprenticed in for several years. All right, you did quite well in that, uh, Jim Beaver. But now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Oh boy. Thank you. <laughs> this question is so high level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Benedict Arnold has a complicated legacy in the United States where despite his reputation as a turncoat, he is still honored by some people. So for up to three points, what is the name of the holiday celebrated in honor of Arnold's acquisition of a supply of gunpowder in 1775? In what city where this acquisition occurred is that holiday primarily celebrated still today? And what item did Arnold demand from the soldiers protecting the gunpowder that led To this acquisition? Jim Beaver, deep in thought? Yes, it's not that deep. (laughs) 1775?
2: Mm -hmm. 1775 was Fort Ticonderoga. What's
0: Uh the name of the holiday?
2: The holiday.
1: It has to do with acquiring gunpowder.
2: The gunpowder holiday.
1: The gunpowder holiday? (laughs) Gunpowder holiday. (laughs) Erica is enjoying that answer. That's
3: funny. Um, like Lent?
2: Yeah, this is... Um,
0: and then what city?
2: Okay, this is... I'm going to say this is Danbury. Danbury. Uh, Connecticut. Okay. Wow. And
1: Connecticut, all right. And then what did, he, uh, what did he demand from the soldiers who were protecting the gunpowder that led to the acquisition of that gunpowder?
2: He demanded from the soldiers who were protecting it? Yes. He demanded the... Yeah, I'm going to say the key to the armory.
1: The key to the armory. All right. Uh, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight?
0: Here with us tonight via Skype from his home in Amsterdam is an award-winning author of several books on American history, including Turncoat, Benedict Arnold, and the Crisis of American Liberty. It's Dr. Stephen Brumwell.
1: Dr. Brumwell. Hello. 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 Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what time is it in Amsterdam
5: right now? Uh, it's just coming up to 5 o'clock in the morning.
1: Well, wow. We're especially grateful that you either stayed up late or got up early to join us.
5: Well, I'd love to say that I just got in after uh, a hard night on the tiles the in Amsterdam, but unfortunately I've uh, just got up. Oh, excellent. But uh, no. I'm uh, very pleased to be with you and so, uh, I've been enjoying the show. Well, thank and you I very much. I've especially enjoyed... Uh, Jim's uh, anecdote about the, uh, the crypt. I,
1: I still can't Batist- believe it. Have you, have you visited That's, this crypt I, as well, I imagine?
5: I, I have, but I have to say I didn't see the Lego. Oh, you there, missed but, out. I, I took them with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I still can't believe they're letting little kids play over the dead body.
5: I kind of like to think that uh, Benedict Arnold and his wife, uh, Peggy Shippen, Margaret Shippen, would kind of like that in a way. They were into that kind of thing. What are you? What are you saying? Wow, they were they were family people. Okay,
1: very good. All right. Well, let's go back to uh, talking with uh, with uh, Mr. with Doctor Brumwell, excuse me. So, Doctor Brumwell, uh, I could tell from your accent that you are not American, nor are you uh, Dutch or Holland-ish. Uh, you in fact you in fact are, are British. Why did you want to write about American history?
5: Well, I've always been uh, fascinated by history ever since I was a kid, and American history it was. I basically you know, grew up in the 60s, and I can remember when I was very young, it was the centenary of the American Civil War, and along with my schoolmates, we used to collect these uh, packets of uh, chewing gum cards all about the American Civil War, and there were these brightly colored cards with these vivid scenes of Johnny Rebs and Billy Yanks fighting each other, and uh, I don't know, it just kind of triggered an interest, and there were a lot of uh, movies around at the time as well, and so I became particularly interested, I think after watching an early television version on the BBC of The Last of the Mohicans, I became very interested in American colonial history, and that whole kind of period when the the Brits were still in America, and 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 then of course the period when the Brits started to be kicked out of America.
1: Right. Now, as a Brit, do you have a different perspective as to, you know, it, for us Americans, uh, well, we feel like we won. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you have a different take, or do you feel that, that being a Brit uh, gives you a different take on writing about American history?
5: Yeah, of course. Uh, and also, I think it gives me a different take on writing about Benedict Arnold. And one of the reasons why I think I can give a, a different take is, is, of course, if you look at that whole period of history... And really, the American colonies, as they were known, were very much part of the British Empire. So the people who lived in those colonies didn't necessarily see themselves as Americans. They were almost like kind of British people who just happened to live in a different part of the world.
1: Interesting. Uh, I want to go back just a little bit to make, to make sure we uh, mention some of your awesome bona fides. Uh, one of your books that you wrote about George Washington won a very special award called the George Washington Award.
5: Yeah, well, I think the kind of, it did kind of help. <laughs> that the, the subject matter was, uh, was relevant. But uh, I was assured at the time that the, the prize was for books, any book written on that kind of period of history. But it mystery. didn't hurt, huh? It didn't hurt <laughs> that my, my book was actually about the man himself, yeah.
1: And then you also, uh,
5: you also have come to the States to
1: study, and uh, you actually were honored uh, the first time that you came over was for a very special reason.
5: Well, the first time I came to the States was in 1999, the summer of 99. And I was given a research fellowship to the Huntington Library, which is just down the road from you in mm-hmm. San Marino. Yes,
1: we actually had so my, a, uh, a bibliographer from the Huntington Library on a, on a previous episode of ours.
5: Right. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful place. And, of course, there's this fantastic botanical gardens there as well. But uh, I had three months there, which was really wonderful. And I was, became very, very fond of Pasadena. And, uh, You're the
4: one. My <laughs> fir- <laughs> no, no,
5: no. <laughs> It's
1: one of our top three dinas. I I don't mean to disparage (laughs) it in any way.
5: But uh, in London, just a couple of days before, I'd been drinking one of my favorite beers, Fuller's ESB, a kind of English bitter, which was okay. When, When I went to Lucky Baldwin's, they had Fuller's ESB there, and it actually tasted better in Pasadena than it did back in London. And I thought, my God, what's going on? And so that was almost the start of the American beer revolution, as I like to say. <laughs> now, you
1: also review history books for the Wall Street Journal. What, what makes a, a good history book?
5: Well, I, my own background is in journalism. So I'm interested in kind of telling stories. And I think there's no point having the facts if you can't present them in a compelling way. Mm. So uh, that's really when I read a book and review a book. Taking into account what the kind of target readership is. I think I'm always looking for something which is convincing in terms of the research, but at the same time is readable uh, in a sense of a narrative. So that's what I kind of look for.
1: And uh, did your book get a good review in the Wall Street Journal from you?
5: Uh, not from me. Okay.
1: It, <laughs>
2: it, was,
5: it, it, it was. It uh, was. Unfortunately, if only they would let me uh, to do that under a under a pseudonym, I'm sure I could have uh, <laughs> given it a stunning writer. But you were a
1: writer with integrity, which we appreciate. All right, let's go talk about uh, Benedict Arnold. Wait, uh, before
0: we move on, can I ask you a personal question? Sure. When you were young, did the TV just go blank at midnight?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
5: Yes, it did. <laughs> oh, but it, my God. What came up was a rather kind of sinister doll-type figure. with, If I remember correctly, with children's building blocks and... Legos. Then, it's the Lego crypt! Well, it, was, it wasn't Legos. They were numbered. I think they were numbered, numbered blocks. But wow. it, was, it was actually quite sinister. And then, how- again, it would just go kind of, that's it. And then I think they played the national anthem. I don't know God's how you guys wait.
0: survived your youth. It's I amazing. really don't. It's
1: amazing we made it this <laughs> far. Uh, books helped. Which, speaking of which, uh, let's talk about your book and to talk about uh, Benedict Arnold. Uh, why do you think he did it? Why did he betray the country? Or do you think it was a betrayal?
5: Well, my, the whole point of my book really is, as I mentioned before, I used to work as a, a newspaper reporter. So I'm kind of interested in challenging, if you like, the orthodox picture. And right from the very moment that Benedict Arnold turned his coat and went over to the British, he was accused of doing so basically because he wanted money. He was doing it for British gold. He, he, he was a Judas who's, who sold his soul and he sold his honor for cash. Now I think, well, at the time, even at the time, some people, including for example, Alexander Hamilton, thought that was a bit too simplistic and there was more to his story. And I thought, well, I want to get to the bottom of this. So Jim's already mentioned that he's read material that's led him to question what motivated Benedict Arnold. And the more I dug around in the archives, in London, also in the States, the more I I found evidence that suggested to me that Arnold actually believed that if he went over to the British, he could end what he was now saw after some kind of five years of fighting as a damaging civil war. What he really wanted to do was to somehow reunite those two broken parts of the British Empire. Of course, if he was the guy who ended up doing that, he could expect real recognition from ah. a very grateful George III. So I'm not suggesting there wouldn't be a payoff. Right. But I do think he acted from far more complex reasons than we normally give him credit for, and that he did what he did for reasons which he would have kind of justified as being honorable, rather ironically.
1: Well, that's a very interesting take. Let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Jim. We wanted to know what is the name of the holiday that is celebrated in honor of Benedict Arnold's acquisition of a supply of gunpowder. Helen, what was the answer that Jim (laughs) Beaver gave us? Jim
0: said, gunpowder holiday.
1: (laughs) Do I have to ask, uh, <laughs> Dr. Brumwell, Is that correct?
5: Sadly, it's not. Although Gunpowder Holiday has a nice ring it to really it, it really mean, does. That—that's that, a bar I would like to
1: go to. Uh, now, what is it actually called?
5: Well, it's actually called, rather more prosaically, Powderhouse Day.
1: Powderhouse Day. I'm sorry. No point there for Jim. The uh,
5: next, s- r- slang.
1: It's slang for, yeah. (laughs) Which one is the slang? Who cares? Okay. Next, we wanted to know, in what city where the acquisition occurred is this holiday primarily celebrated still today? Helen, what did Jim Beaver say?
0: Jim said Danbury, Connecticut.
1: And uh, Dr.
5: Brumwell? Well, it's Connecticut, but unfortunately, it's it's not Danbury. It's New Haven. New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah, Danbury's got a a good Arnold connection because uh, when... The, the British raided Connecticut in 1777. Danbury was burned down by the British, and Arnold turned out at the head of the local militia and kind of chased the British back to their ships, so there's a, you know, the Connecticut connection's there.
1: But no, no point there, unless you'd like to argue, Jim, that uh, Danbury is slang for New Haven. It isn't. All right, and finally, we wanted to know what item did Benedict Arnold demand from the soldiers protecting the gunpowder that led to the acquisition of that gunpowder? Helen, what did Jim Beaver say? Jim said the key. And Dr. Brumwell? Keys is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Can't wow. get into that powder house if you don't have the keys. Well, I'll be fact.
3: I did stall for him with that one. You really you did? Yeah, that was a team you effort. That was a
1: team effort. Uh, Dr. Brumwell, it's very wonderful to speak with you. We, we appreciate you getting up. If people want to find out more about you, your work, or your book, where can they go?
5: If they just look up Turncoat uh, on Amazon or in in a bookshop, hopefully they'll be able to find it. If they want to uh, find out more about uh, my work, the previous books I've written, I've got a website which is just brumwellhistory.com or if you just Google Stephen with a PH, Brumwell, that should come up.
1: Excellent, we're so happy that you joined us. Uh, Get some sleep and thank you so much, Dr. Stephen Brumwell.
0: Thank you.
5: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Helen, let's get a score recap as we go into our next round. At
0: the end of that round, Jim Beaver has five points and Erica Rhodes has two points with a round of questions coming up.
1: That's right. We're going to talk with Erica about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Jim and Erica will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hi there, I'm Winston Knoll, and I play a bunch of characters on Mission to Zix, an improvised science fiction podcast. And this is our incredible sound designer, Shane. Hello. Shane makes it possible for me to fill our galaxy with ridiculous characters. Such as the Grand Cooler of the planet Flerk. And the sentient starship, the Dazzle Mosh Man. And Beano. Beano loves character actors with versatility. In front of a Jay Ryan Lone shark. And of course, AJ-284, the defective clone Trooper. Someone say clone? You call it Well, I'm sure. Technically, we're all clones. Hey, shut up with that Klo. Shut up. There are five other cast members, too, but I sort of feel like I'm the alpha. No, no, that's no, 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 no. not Okay, that's fine. The season finale of Mission to Zix is coming up next week, so this is the perfect time to dive in and catch up with our intrepid crew as they explore the Zix Quadrant. Give Mission to Zix a listen on Maximum Fun.
0: Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Jim Beaver with five points and Erica Rhodes with two points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Straten.
1: Thank you, Helen. Thank you, everybody. (laughs) Erica Rhodes, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the film The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, and the poet William Wordsworth. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First of all, you said you know a lot about the film The Umbrellas of Cherbourg.
3: Yes, that's my favorite film.
1: And tell, us, tell us why and how many times um, well, you've seen it and all I that. I saw
3: it when I was about 16. My mother showed it to me. It's the most romantic film I've ever seen. It's French. It is so beautifully shot. And it's it's kind of a musical, but in a very classy, tasteful way. Mm-hmm. And it's just so sad.
4: You like that point. Yeah, sad. I was a
3: romantic as a kid, you know. I yeah. was I was very And then and then when my boyfriend broke up with me when I was about 17 16 or 17, he came back from he he went to a conservatory, he was a violinist and he went off to actually Rotterdam Conservatory and he came back and broke up with me. <gasps> and it was so dramatic that I had him put on umbrellas of Cherbourg <laughs> as he was breaking up with me. <laughs> So I it's said, become... put on umbrellas of Cherbourg. I'm gonna watch it now. <laughs>
0: You're the most like refined, like uh, my yeah. boyfriend came back yeah. from the conservatory. <laughs> and I made him put on umbrellas of Cherbourg. And then
1: I dug I my know. key into his Aston Martin. I mean, <laughs> that's, uh, that's lovely. So it's kind of it was a soundtrack of a, a soundtrack of an important time in your life. Yeah,
3: I grew up with classical musician parents. So, <laughs> well,
1: that might explain <laughs> the next topic. You also said you know a lot about the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche.
3: We'll see about that.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, why do you think you know and what is it uh, that appeals to you about um,
3: Again, I, I seem to have p- chosen things, topics I studied in high school, but I'm not sure I really remember much. Right. But he's a nihilist. You know, he believes in, he's kind of, he's also very dramatic, which I liked about his philosophy. It was very, you know, kind of over the top. Mm-hmm. And it's all about like, you know, people need to struggle in order to find the meaning in life. Yeah, the I, dude's a bummer. Yeah, but he's a romantic, too, I think. Uh, I, f- I, I found him romantic, you know? Oh. He's like, find what's... I don't know if he said this. Maybe that was Bukowski. I mix them up now. <laughs> Who did, did you listen to contemporary music when you were a teenager? No.
1: <laughs> did you read Judy Bloom or...?
3: I knew nothing about, like, any any cool stuff. We didn't even have a TV till I was, like, 12. Oh, my God, <laughs> Oh, my God. That's why
2: you yeah. didn't know it went off at yeah. midnight. Yeah, I mean...
3: We never had cable and I used to lo- like when people were like I like Dave Matthews band I'd be like yeah they're great and then I listened and I was like this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so I would just lie you know I would just lie about knowing stuff.
1: You weren't lying about that. Yeah. Uh, you also <laughs> I just lost a lot of listeners. I was lying that I
3: liked them. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, all right and then Sorry. finally you said you know a lot about the poet William Wordsworth.
3: Yes. He also, I studied in high school. This is like, back when I, you know, I'm a college dropout, so the only books I remember are from high school, really. Um, so you,
1: you have no interests that you've developed since high school?
3: No, no, I, I've had interests, but somehow the, the, when you told me to topics, I was just, somehow everything came back to high school. Okay. I have no idea why. All I was right. really interested in Wordsworth in high school, and I think it was one of the first poems I memorized was the Daffodil one.
1: Can you give ah. us a couple lines?
3: I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high or fields and hills?
1: Sure, I don't know, I'll say yes. That was great, very good, Erica. You ask us as if we would know. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, all I know is it didn't rhyme. I'm
3: just hoping you didn't pick that one.
1: Well, we'll see. (laughs) Uh, All right, to summarize, Erica, you said you know a lot about the film The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, and the poet William Wordsworth. Tonight we want to quiz you about... The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Thank
3: goodness. That's the best one. Now, my okay.
1: first question is, am I saying that anywhere close to correctly? I
3: think you said it correctly. Okay. Yeah, Cherbourg. Cherbourg.
1: Cherbourg, Cherbourg. Yes. But uh, originally it was called the, 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 the Parapluie des de Cherbourg. Is that yes. correct? Yes. I get that a point, correct.
3: Ellen. Yeah, you get a point.
1: Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, so you, you did speak French at the time, so you knew, you knew it in French?
3: No. No, no, no. They okay. had subtitles. I never spoke French. You Never spoke French. No, I no. See. I took I took uh, Spanish, and then I took one year of French, which canceled out the Spanish. Okay. And then I, <laughs> and then I took Russian, and then uh, I dropped that because my Russian boyfriend broke up with me. Oh my goodness! So much drama. So a lot of European influence yeah. in my life.
1: Do you have a favorite scene or a, a song from that movie?
3: Yes, I will wait for you. Yeah, Yo, it's pretty ya, lovely. Da, 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 da. Wow. I was Not
1: expecting really everyone to join in, but yeah, I apparently uh, I, I don't yeah.
3: remember I'm the words. Like, but I'm yeah. ashamed
0: yes.
1: to say
3: I have never
0: even heard of this
1: movie before it is so right now. It's so
3: beautiful. Have you guys heard of it? Yeah, yeah, we got some
1: people who know the movie. It's lovely.
3: You should uh, watch it. Yes. It's
1: I watched it this week as if I were preparing to write a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> um, When's the last time that you saw the movie, Erica? Not this week. Not this yeah, week. I, All right. Well, I we'll have see. seen we'll it, play. though,
3: but yes. it is my favorite movie. Excellent. Wait, so it's like a heartbreaking love story? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. like so pure,
0: yeah. you know? It's a it's...
1: musical where the people do not end up together.
3: Don't give it away.
1: <laughs> These people might it. Spoiler alert. Yeah, you know, right. that's a huge let spoiler me, alert. Let me do take two. Jeez. It's a movie. <laughs> Alright, just ahead we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the topic to test your mastery in the subject with an expert level question worth up to three points, but before that we're going to give you a chance to show off. Here are your five trivia questions about the topic. You get two hints for any of these five questions. Jim, do listen closely because if Erica gets any wrong, you can steal. By the way, Jim Beaver, how much do you know about the Umbrellas of Cherbourg?
2: I saw it last year for the first time and I feel about it Pretty much the way Erica does.
1: Oh, all right. Oh, Some oh, very emotional awesome connection. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, here we go. Question number one. Director Damien Chazelle said that his 2016 film, which almost won an Oscar for Best Picture, was directly inspired by his favorite film, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. What was his film?
3: Oh, really? I have to know about a different film? <laughs> I just had to know about this film.
0: Almost
1: won an Oscar.
3: Almost something.
1: It almost won Best Picture. Almost but then it didn't.
3: Whoa.
1: <laughs> something else won instead of it. Would you like a hint?
3: Yes, I'd like a Helen, hint. Helen,
1: how about that first hint? It's a musical.
3: <gasps> That's not a hint.
1: That's a hint.
3: That's That's already, it's a huge hint.
0: That Here. is a
1: bona fide hint. 2016 it's musical. A,
3: everything
0: almost that won an we've Oscar. said is a huge not hint. Not
3: Moulin Rouge. 2016.
0: Is, is
1: that your guess? No. We do need an answer, Eric. I'm I sorry.
3: know. I don't, have, I don't have one. No
1: answer. Uh, I'm terribly sorry. Jim Beaver with a chance to steal bursting out of his seat. <laughs> La La Land. Ellen. That is correct. That is correct. I'm sorry it was uh, La La Land. shoot.
3: La La Land was 2016? I know. So long ago. So
1: long ago. <laughs> Back then the TV stopped at midnight it was a crazy time. All right, let's see if you can bounce back with question number 2. In the movie, Guy is drafted into the army and fights in the real life war that France fought from 1954 to 1962 against whom? Germany? Helen?
0: That is not no, correct. No, I'm terribly
1: sorry, Jim Beaver the chance to steal. What were those dates again? 1954 to 1962. Vietnam. Helen? That is not correct. No, I'm terribly <laughs> sorry. It was Algeria. Nigeria. France fought Algeria in the same, same years. Germany,
3: Algeria, Netherlands, Holland.
1: I know you did not know geography was going to be on the quiz. I'm, no. t- I'm sorry. All right, let's see if you can bounce back with question <laughs> number three. <laughs> you can
3: bounce back. Oh man, I'm not bouncing. Okay.
1: <laughs> this is the bounce. Like, okay. I, I feel Okay. You. The film is divided into three parts, each with their own heading. Name one of the three parts.
3: Oh, 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 oh! I know this. The absence.
1: Helen is it the absence. That is correct. That is correct.
3: Yay! Oh my
1: gosh. It was gosh. the departure. Oh. It was the departure, the absence, and the return. Oh Very good. Gosh. You did Thank see the movie. I was beginning yeah, to I wonder did. for no, a I moment. Did. All right. <laughs> Question number four. Uh, this is going to be a spoiler. So if you don't want to hear a spoiler from a movie from uh, decades ago, please uh, skip ahead 30 seconds.
3: 1964.
1: Thank you. You want to give her a point? No, okay. Here we go. Question number four. The film ends after Guy and Geneviève reunite at a gas station. What brand of gasoline did that station sell?
3: Oh, man.
1: You do have a second hint available if you'd like.
3: Yes,
0: please. Helen,
1: how about that second hint?
0: <laughs>
1: You're going
3: to hate what this hint. What brand of gas?
0: It's what standard oil used to be known as.
1: Standard oil.
0: Petroleum?
1: Helen, is it petroleum? It is not
0: No, I'm petroleum.
1: terribly sorry. Jim B. with a chance to steal. Esso. <laughs> Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Esso. There's a big sign and it's a garage. I'm terribly sorry, Erica, but... Uh, uh, Nothing. Yeah, that's all right. It's okay. Sometimes you don't know you' At least I got one details. point, yeah. You still have the one point? Let's see yeah. if you can add to it with this one. Uh, question number five when Geneviève and her mother are joined by Monsieur Cassard for dinner Geneviève finds a bean in her dessert which means she must choose a king and then as his queen wear a paper crown this is a traditional French way of marking what Christian holiday
3: what Christian holiday
1: yes it's Christmas Helen is it Christmas it is not Christmas no I'm terribly sorry Jim Beaver the chance to steal I'm going to say Easter. Is it Easter, Helen? It is not Easter. No, no. I think the hint might have helped if we'd had a hint left. Uh, Helen, what was that hint? Oh,
0: my God. I just realized something very important and profound.
1: Epiphany is the holiday. Epiphany. (laughs) Like, she had...
0: I thought that him yeah. was I great. Yeah, I, I thought it was
1: pretty great I also. I did an
3: epiphany.
0: <laughs> also,
1: also known as Three Kings Day. Uh, they actually have a, a, a fun fact. The traditional dessert for this is called the Gayette de Ra, or King Cake, which is what they're eating that has the bean in it. Whoever gets the bean gets to uh, choose the king. Okay. Uh, all right, you had a little struggle with that, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your Cluster fact.
4: Well, we're bringing on an expert to
1: assess your response. This is scary. The correct answer is worth up to three points. Okay. Overall, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg was nominated for five Academy Awards, three of which were for Jacques Demy. For up to three points, in what three categories was Jacques Demy nominated?
3: Three categories? Three
1: categories of Oscars.
3: I'm a little confused. You mean? Okay.
1: Jacques Demis, the yeah, person yeah. who. The made... director. I didn't yeah. want to say that. Yeah. But yes. All oh, right.
3: director. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, film composition, the screenplay, and director.
1: All right, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand, who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight?
0: Here with us tonight is a singer and teacher who taught the Umbrellas of Cherbourg in her film studies class at UCLA. It's Dr.
1: Betsy Bogart. Dr. Betsy Bogart. Come on up here, Dr. Bogart.
3: Oh, she's here. She's
4: here. She's about to sit right next to you.
3: This is so exciting. Hi. Hello, Hello, Dr.
4: Bogart. Bonjour, mes amis. Comment oh, ça va?
3: Wow. <laughs>
4: she speaks Dutch. I do speak English. <laughs> 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 Will
0: uh, you teach me how to say parapluie? Le parapluie. Le
4: parapluie. Yeah. De Cherbourg. De Cherbourg. Perbourg. You don't pronounce the G at the end. Ah,
1: de Cherbourg. Oh. Cherbourg. Cherbourg. Oh. Cherbourg. Oui. Ch- voilà. Cherbourg.
4: Voilà. Wow. Excellent. Lo-
1: I am learning bien. something.
0: Oh, maintenant! No. <laughs> oui. I am learning something maintenant! No.
1: Yes, uh-huh. that's now. C'est
4: formidable. Yeah. Yes.
1: Uh, bonjour, uh, Professor uh, Bogart. Uh, we're going to talk about your teaching and uh, your academic work, but you also are a professional musician and singer.
4: That's right. Tell us about that. Well, I, I uh, was a professional entertainer for about 20 years, and I, was, I, had a, I, I sing and play piano and guitar and I had an opportunity to to do a lot of gigs in Europe, and I actually had studied French before that. I was able to interview her, and they they brought me in, and they sat me down in her living room with her TV, with the VCR. This was... uh, Helen has a question about that
1: TV. Go ahead, Helen.
0: Did the TV turn off, just go blank at midnight?
4: That's a really good question, Like, I'm really, I'm shook, guys. I can't remember. And I'm sure I watched it late enough that I should have. I should have. Known. Well, we, we
1: interrupted your story, though. So we well, anyway, so
4: I'm sitting in, in Varda's living room. She was married to Jacques Demy for many years, the director of the film, and there are these paintings on the wall and these um, photographs of the, you know, the stills from their movies and the and the you know actors from their films, and her cats. No, Jay Keith. Attention. I yeah, know yeah. you're a you're a cat or guy. Or Leigh Shaw. <laughs> Leigh Shaw, yes, <laughs> you. I'm
0: tuning out, and Jay Keith is tuning back <laughs> in.
4: I'll make it short. Well, if if you see any films by Anya Varda, there's always a cat or two in there, and she has a couple of cats. And those cats were there, in the living room, walking around. It was like, like movie star mo- cats. Yeah, movie star cats. <laughs> but. I have something for you guys because I was listening to your show recently when uh, you, you interviewed the um, fellow about the Gutenberg Bible. Yes, I yes. was and, you yes. and you're all wondering now what possible relationship could there be? Um, you were really disappointed because he didn't bring a Gutenberg Bible <sighs> for you to see. Did you bring a cat? I, <laughs> 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 I kidnapped one of Anya's Varda's cats. No, better than that. What I did have oh. is an umbrella from Cherbourg. Parapluie what? de
0: Cherbourg. <laughs> she has un- parapluie de Cherbourg in yes. her purse.
4: I'm not. I'm not giving Wait, why it. Why have you never not, opened it? No, this is like a relic. Oh my god! This is an artifact. It's um, a real store. It's a real store, <gasps> but now it's not in the same location. Mm-hmm. There's. It's a furniture store, but after. I did my degree so and excited. taught and all this this stuff. I decided to go back to music. That makes sense, right? And uh, they started tearing down the apartment building next to where I was living near UCLA with this wrecking ball and it was making so much noise you know, all the time. So I said, I have to get out of here. I have, to, I have to leave. So I had some friends who had been working on cruise ships as musicians and I said, how do I do that? I need to go and I want to travel. You know, I keep going back and forth to France, but I want to go somewhere else. So I got myself a job on a cruise ship and one thing led to another. I met my my husband, uh, is another musician working on another cruise ship. We put a duo act together. And you and I have something in common. We were both on a cruise ship in the Baltic. (laughs) 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 What? But there were lots of people in Arcas, you know, as we had a different crowd. I think it wasn't, wasn't the Prairie Home Companion. But one of our stops was Cherbourg. And my husband, Wade, insisted that I go to this <laughs> shop which sells the most expensive um, um, umbrellas in the entire world. And it's probably and,
1: the movie that keeps them in business. Yes.
4: Yeah. There's an inscription in gold on the what? wooden handle that, that it came that from the actual le verite, shop. La veritable It, said, oui, you it said,
1: use this when you break up with a woman. No, no, i <laughs> <laughs> So, Dr. Bogart, uh, Helen in her intro said that you've taught the Umbrellas of Scherberg, uh, Scherberg, rather, at UCLA. How, how do you teach the film, and, and what is it that you try to uh, impress upon your students?
4: Well, I think the film sort of teaches itself. It is so unique. Um, it's, you know, the whole thing is sung. It's not like a real opera. It's like an operetta. And when you first, I love to get students' reactions when they first see it because they're not expecting it to be that and it's not something that you know the first the first line is c'est terminé it's you know it's in the garage it just mm-hmm. kind of you know this jazz music kind of hits you and people are so shocked they don't know quite how to take it but after a while you just kind of start accepting that that's you know that mm-hmm. that's how it is so then i like to get their their reactions and of course the colors just knock your eyes out i when i um when I was in Paris doing my research, I got a chance to meet the um, production designer, and uh, his wife, who was the costumer for the. Uh, and the, you know the, the, how they they matched the costumes, the colors, of the costumes, and the wallpaper and the yes, and then painted, every the, single the scene wallpaper. they match. The,
3: her dress will match the wallpaper. What?
4: Yeah, it's really you've got to
3: watch. You the have, you watch
1: it, Helen.
4: You have to watch it, Helen. I so when beautiful. the TV goes
1: off at midnight, put this movie in and <laughs> you'll <laughs> enjoy it. Uh, so what was revolutionary about the umbrellas oh. of Cherbourg?
4: Well, it's just a really unique film. At any time. in in, uh, 1965, 66, or even today. It doesn't fit any sort of norms. And because it was such a collaboration between Jacques Demy, the director, and Michel Legrand, one of the greatest film composers uh, or composers of popular music ever. I mean, they worked on this film for so long. They were so, for a a year or so, they, they just wanted to do this. Jacques Demy had been um, enamored of Hollywood-style musicals all his life, although more the traditional Hollywood-style right. musicals, songs, dances, you know. But this was just, I said, no, let's do this, and let's make the music sound almost like conversation. You know, not arias or... Um, yeah. And uh, it's, it was just so unique by all those standards. And American musicals were not popular in France at that really? time. No, yeah. they weren't. And that's another reason... Like Mary Poppins and... Well, this was before, even yeah. you know before yeah. that. But um, that's why nobody wanted to put any um, money into this project. Because they said, you're crazy. No, you know, nobody will buy this. And they just... Persevered and, and they did it, and they pulled it off. Well, the
1: Academy certainly took notice, which brings me to why we brought you here tonight <laughs> as far as our game is concerned. Uh, you heard the question that we asked of Erica. We wanted to know, of the five Academy Awards, three of which were for Jacques Demi. what were those categories? Helen, what was the first answer that Erica gave us?
0: Erica said film composition.
1: And uh, Dr. Bogart?
0: By
4: composition, you mean?
3: I meant the music, oh. but I, but he didn't write the music, so... That's probably not right.
1: Well, Dr. Bogart?
4: Well, you're only saying that because of what you just...
3: Well, I think by the
4: composition, perhaps you meant the score. Yeah. Yeah,
3: that's what I meant.
4: Yeah, Yeah. and Dr. Bogart? (laughs)
1: Absolutely. That is correct. That's a point for Erica. Yay! (laughs) Uh, I feel like I just went off to war for a couple of years. Uh, What was the second answer that Erica gave us, Helen?
0: Erica said, best director.
1: And uh, Dr. Bogart?
4: Unfortunately. No. no. No, it was not
1: nominated for Best actor. No, no point there. Yeah. And then finally, what was the last category that Erica said? It was nominated for Helen?
4: Erica
0: said Best Screenplay.
1: And Dr. Bogart? Yes. That is correct. Right. That is a point for Erica. It did get nominated Yay! for Best Original Screenplay. You know? uh, the oh. one you were missing, it was nominated for also for Best Song mm-hmm. for I Will Wait I For You, the oh. one that you know well. It did yeah, not win, sure. but it was Maybe we nominated. We could sing it
4: together. Yes. I know. No je ne oh, I don't know the words. Right.
1: <laughs> Dr. Bogart, if people you. want to find out more about you or your work, uh, where can they go?
4: Um, well, my website, which is for all, all of my interest, is bbogart88, like 88 keys. Sure. at aol.com. And uh, Wayne's, my husband, and my website for uh, the performing that we do. And I do an amazing Carol King tribute show. <laughs> now that's a, that's a logical. We'll have step. to have you back for that's, that topic. That's Bogart <laughs> Bogart and Boyd at gmail.com. I Excellent. Hear well, you thank you so much it. for joining I us, Dr. Oh, Betsy been, Bogart. Ladies and you. gentlemen. Yay.
0: Don't forget your parapluie. Oh, that's right. Please.
1: Helen, let's get a score recap as we go into the final round. At
0: the end of that round, Jim Beaver has seven points and Erica Rhodes has five points.
1: Ooh, Aww. very close game. And now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I will read ten statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Jim and alternate between each guest. Each correct mm-hmm. answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Jim Beaver, beavers are animals. True. Correct? Erica, beavers are reptiles
0: False Correct?
1: Jim beaver, beavers are rodents True Correct? Erica, there are only two species of beaver True Correct? Jim beaver, one of the species is called the American beaver True Correct? Erica, the other is called the Canadian beaver True Incorrect No, it is called the Eurasian beaver Jim beaver, a beaver's home is called a nest False Correct? Erica, a beaver's home is called a lodge
0: False Incorrect. No, it
1: really is called a lodge. Jim Beaver, there is a town in Canada called Beaver Lodge. True. Correct. Erica, there is a hotel in Beaver Lodge called the Beaver Lodge Lodge. True.
0: Incorrect. No,
1: but there really should be. There Are should be. There is a Beaver Lodge hotel and a Beaver Lodge motor in, but I feel this is a wasted opportunity. And finally, Jim Beaver, there is a cleaning service in Beaver Lodge called Leave it to Beaver Lodge.
2: <laughs>
1: False. We're not counting that one. Let's give a nice hand to both of our guests. Erica Rhodes and Jim Beaver as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce a winner on tonight's episode?
0: I am. At the end of the game, Erica Rhodes has seven points and Jim Beaver has 12 points. Congratulations, Whoa!
1: Jim Beaver. You are the facting <laughs> champion on Go Fact Yourself. A hearty, friendly handshake from the competitors. Jim, what will you do with your championship?
2: <laughs> I, I think I'll uh, dunk it in the water until it drowns.
1: Fantastic. All right, who wants to plug things? Uh, Jim, what do you have going on? Where can people find you?
2: I'm um, getting ready to start, I think, season 15 of Supernatural.
1: Wow.
3: Wow.
2: And I, uh, I cross your fingers. I'm told I'm going to be in the next film by a recent Academy Award winning director. That's all I can say. Wow. wow
1: very good. Well, thanks for joining us. It's wonderful to share the stage with you, Jim Beaver, ladies and gentlemen. Yay. Erica Rhodes, what about you? Where can people find you?
3: Um, uh, you can go to my site, ericarhodescomedy.com, and you can follow me on Twitter and stuff like that, at, at Erica Rhodes.
1: And your record is out now. Yes. I'm old because I call it a record, but what sad, do the kids call it?
3: Sad Lemon.
1: Sad Lemon. Yeah,
3: you can call it whatever you want. As I'm, long I'm, as, as you buy it. Yeah, just Erica buy Erica Rhodes. We're happy
1: to have <laughs> you here. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner is the lovely and talented Ms. Helen Hong. Hey.
0: You can find my performance calendar at HelenHong.com and follow me on the socials at Funny Helen Hong.
1: She is funny, she is Helen, she is Hong, she is funny, Helen Hong. Uh, and me. You can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith and on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leads me to thank Jim Beaver, Erica Rhodes, Dr. Stephen Brumwell, Dr. Betsy Bogart, Helen Hong. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. <laughs> Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like MorgLaugh113 did. He, she, or they said, so much fun and so addicting. Thanks, MorgLaugh113. Helen?
0: Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and Jake Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Dave McKeever is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to Bruce Smith, Scott Langto, Cliff Gallagher, Lucia Schultz, Clint Tauscher, Dave Bianchi, Eric Tran, and Christine Vallada. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go to Cherbourg!
1: allons y Allons-y, à Cherbourg! Hey, everybody, Jay Keith here. Make sure to tune into the next episode of Go Fact Yourself with our guest Jenna Friedman. Well, a lot of people do improv, but not a lot of people know about the history. Tell us about why you know that and what do you like about improv uh, history?
2: Well, I just had studied it for a paper that I wrote.
3: Improv doesn't really pay the bills, and it's this very like um,
1: privileged art form for people
3: who just have like the resources to like take classes and stuff. And so that's kind of what my angle was when I was studying it. Mm-hmm. And then Sharna, like, read the paper and, like, cut me from my team. (laughs) And that's how I got into stand-up.
1: And Jack O'Brien... I was hired to launch the website for Cracked Magazine. I was not a fan of Cracked Magazine growing up, um, so I just kind of started a humor website that I would want to read.
0: People were like, you know what, I'm going to do the Game of Thrones website and make it about puppies. Yes, I would
1: say Cracked the magazine was very comparable to Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) Almost identical. That's Go Fact Yourself every first and third Friday right here on the Maximum Fun Network.